Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Diodora, brand made legendary by Bjorn Borg, currently worn by world number 26, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, world number 25, Jan Leonard Struff, world number 42, Martina Trevisan. See them at Diodora.com. Use my code APPROVED in all caps at HolliburnSports.com for 15% off of all Diodora tennis shoes. Today's show is also brought to you by Vacation, creators of the legendary Ball Boy Scented Candle, made exclusively with Prince Tennis. You guys all know how much I love the fresh smell of a new can of balls. The Ball Boy Scented Candle captures that exact scent and is official Academy approved. It is a perfect gift. So go to vacation.inc, vacation.inc. And use my code SHAPIRO in all caps for 15% off of the Vacation Ball Boy Scented Candle. That is vacation.inc in my code SHAPIRO in all caps for 15% off of the candle. The candle is official. She was born in Filderstadt, Germany and had a robust upbringing as she lived in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia as well as Indonesia as a kid and was identified as talent in 2000 when she won the Junior Orange Bowl 12s. She turned pro and struggled on tour, toiling in the lower-tier ITF events, but she eventually broke through, has been as high as 27 in the world in singles, and is currently 5 in doubles. And just this past October, with her partner, Vera Zvonareva, won the WTA Finals, and we talked about it all. Laura Sigelman is today's guest. Now, hang on a second. You told me earlier that you took a boat. You arrived to Sardinia <laughs> by boat. Is that true? Yes, that's correct. And I assume that's a... Like, I mean, a ferry, not a, a boat. Ferry, like a, a ferry, ferry. A ferry. Yeah, you didn't sail <laughs> yeah. a boat. A ferry. Yeah, no, exactly. A ferry. No, I, I, I was uh, two days in Genova with my boyfriend. And then uh, from there, there is no direct flight to get here to Porto Torres, where we live. Um, but there is a direct ferry, so it's overnight, and so we decided to take that. An overnight ferry? Yeah, it leaves at 8 p.m. Uh, it's also the first time I'm taking it. I mean, I've taken ferries before, but uh, to Sardinia, it's actually the first time I'm taking the ferry. And um, yeah, it leaves at 8 at night, and then it's like arriving yeah, between 6 and 8 the next morning in Porto Torres. And you have a room. It's like a hotel, like a motel kind of thing. I mean, you don't have to have a room. You can just, like, you know, be in the in the public area, seats and sofas and what whatnot. This, so you went from Genova, Italy, to Sardinia overnight on a ferry. Exactly. <laughs> The young woman you hear, she's gotten as high in the world. To, she's gotten as high as 27 in the world. She currently floats around 86, I believe. She most recently won the end of the year doubles championships, uh, the WTA finals. She won the doubles, really finished the year strong. You can't do better than that. Five in the world in doubles. Do I have all this right? Yeah, very, very much so. And that is uh, German... Billie Jean Cupper, <laughs> Laura Sigmund, how are you? I'm great, thanks. A little bit tired from my days of vacation where I didn't sleep a lot, but uh, but I'm going to hang in there. We're going to get right into this, but let me just say, so you finished Fed Cup, 
and you yeah. went right on oh, vacation. Oh, are you allowed to say that Billy Jean King cover? Sorry, I say, I say, <laughs> I, I mess it all up. I don't think I I'm do allowed it to all say the it. time. I say Fed Cup because it's just shorter. <laughs> I know Fed Cup, and maybe we should say BJK Cup. Yeah, but know. this one I always kind of screw it up. <laughs> as you listen, as you know, we do a five set format. The first set is the off the court report. We got we got to learn about this vacation. So you finished. Billie Jean King Cup in Seville. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. In Seville. And then you went where? Yeah, unfortunately, we were done there early. It wasn't very, very good for us um, German girls. Um, and then I went um, straight home to Germany. Um, my boyfriend and me, we always have the same... Um, discussion every when it comes to what the end of the season it's like hey what do we do for vacation my boyfriend is coaching me also so we're basically on the tour together 24 7 we're like what do you think for vacation shall we do the Maldives this year like we always want to go to the Maldives and then it's always like yeah would be nice but don't want to travel want to see the family just let's just stay home it's basically every year the same conversation and we come to the same conclusion that we don't want to go far away and we prefer to to spend time with the family and with friends so also this year um he was in genova already he's um working there in a in a small tennis academy uh, called uh, luprano academy and um in billy jean king cup for the germans their um you know their private coaches are not allowed to come to the to the matches or to the I mean, to the to the matches, yes, but during the week, you know, they want to kind of keep the team small. So um, he worked in Genova and I was playing Billie Jean King Cup. And then after that, I decided to go to the family in, in Germany and um, spend a few days there. Yeah. Since you started it, <laughs> I have to ask, do, do the players get a special deal to go to the Maldives? Is that what happens? Do you Are you invited there to go just to post or do you pay to go to the Maldives? If you have a contact where they do such things, let me know. <laughs> Forward them my number. No, I mean I know there are there are things going on, and you know they do some. Um, I'm sure some of the girls have like a deal going on where they do some, you know, looks tennis stuff, or I don't know um, what kind of deals, and then they kind of get their vacation there and they post some pictures. I haven't had um, such <laughs> an opportunity yet, <laughs> so. I know I just you know I see the pictures I I always wanted to go there for vacations <laughs> at some point but really haven't haven't done it yet. And and where in Germany do you reside? Um I live in in Stuttgart in Germany where basically 15 minutes from where the tournament is held. Uh, my parents my hometown is Metzingen which is known for Hugo Boss and the outlet city. Um, and that's about, yeah, 30 minutes, uh, down south of Stuttgart. So, um, yeah, I'm in that area when I'm home with my family. That's a, that, that at one time, I don't know if it still is, was a big tennis hotbed. I mean, there was a huge men's tournament there that Jan Tiriak owned. And I remember yeah, all yeah, the players. The Mercedes Cup, uh, yeah. my former Mercedes Cup, now Boss Open um, is still there. It's a great tournament. And yeah, there is a lot of tennis going on having two huge uh, you know ATP and WTA tournaments there is it's a big deal yeah so now so 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 you said you had late nights in Germany do you are you like party party or long dinners or just talking what what happens to you 
No, I'm I'm really um not a party person in that sense that I also think I'm getting a bit older. <laughs> when I was younger, I was really focused on tennis and my career and I didn't, you know, I wasn't into parties. And now I'm older and I need the sleep, I guess, <laughs> in general. But I do love dancing. And, you know, I don't drink alcohol. So that, um, that uh, how do you say, like, a lot of things go with that. So um, I, but I love dancing. And I was like, yeah, actually, it would be nice to go out sometime and, like, really, you know, um, party. Um, but uh, that didn't happen. Uh, I just I just spent time with friends. I went there in the afternoon and I left at like two in the morning and we were just talking. You have to catch up all year. What happened? You haven't seen them in so long. And the same with my parents. I just like, can't, can't just can't stop talking. It's just nice being home, seeing these people. You have the time. It doesn't really matter when you go to bed, you can sleep in the next day. So it just happened that I just every night was so late and um, yeah, but it was great. And just to be clear, no tennis, rackets down. Yeah, no, really. I'm down. From the last match, the doubles was on Friday in Sevilla. And um, yeah, from the next day on, but not even sport. Like I didn't even do anything because usually I'm super active and I like to go for a run or I like to, I don't know, do other sports. I'll go play around badminton with my brother or something or squash or uh, anything with, usually anything where a, a ball is involved. Um, but, uh, didn't, didn't happen. I tried uh, a few things, but then for, for one or the other reason, it didn't, it didn't work out time-wise or the courts were booked. So I ended up literally doing nothing like with sports or with tennis or anything for like a week. And now you're in Sardinia. That's what you call your home base. Is that fair um, to say? Yeah, it's a bit divided. Like usually, you know, I, I call until a couple of years back, I I'd call my home base uh, definitely Stuttgart. Um, but um, since I'm with Anto, with my boyfriend, which is over five years now, he's from Porto Torres in Sardinia, in the north of Sardinia, and um, and that really became my home too. I have to say, and now I I have to say I spend I prefer to spend the time here because I'm definitely an outdoor person. I love the sunshine in the sea and uh in germany it's just yeah i i I just get get annoyed by the weather i have to admit so you know during the summer the few days off we have the few times off we have between tournaments that's a great time to be in sardinia you can like even if you have a practice week you just practice and i don't know after practice at five or six you lie at the beach for an hour that's just awesome it's like a little vacation in in everyday life and then even at this time in Germany, it's really, you know, gray and cold. And here it is also wintry, but just you just see the sun much, much more often anyway. And now you've taken a couple of weeks off and you're right back to business. You're going to get ready to go to us. You're going to get ready for more tennis. Exactly. I'm basically I'm taking or I've taken 10 days off now with really just doing what I wanted to do. And then now I'm starting to to get into the off season and I'll have about, you know, three and a half to four weeks of off season and preparation which is um decent for having a that long of a season i i'm happy that i have that um and and then just before christmas we'll get ready to fly to australia let's move into the second set this is the on the court report uh this is where we talk about the typically the business of tennis the hot button topics but i want to just smash right into 
first round of the U.S. Open. I had my eye on the match. It was clear to me that you had given Team Goff and Coco uh, a lot to think about. That you made her very uncomfortable. That that this big campaign that they had been moving towards since after Wimbledon was was in jeopardy. I was fascinated. I was interested, and I was I was impressed with your quality and how you were playing. How did you feel about that match when you took that first set? It, it felt like a very tense Arthur Ashe Stadium. Yeah, I um, you know for me it was was a great tournament until that point that you know I had qualified. I had played some really good matches in the qualifying. I was really down also in the in the match against. Um, Doda in the last round of qualies, I think I lost the first set, love six or one six and mm. bounced back from that qualifying. So, you know, I had a good run there and I worked hard for being there in the first round. And um, and then I, I had a clear strategy and against Coco and um, it worked out really well. You know, sometimes you have a good strategy, but maybe you don't have such a great day or something. And that moment, just everything worked out and I played really well. And I do know that I can play really good tennis still in singles, you know. Um, and then, uh, and then. But hold on, I hold mean, on. Let me back, sorry, let me back you up, Laura. What was the strategy? It's kind of obvious, you know, that, that her forehand is not her her strong side and um and I just try to play my game and not get too much into you know rallying with her backhand and um and just making it my game I like to mix it up and I like to change the paces and I like to play very aggressive but when I want so um you know try to 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 do those things and um and uh and you came in very match tough because you had come through qualities so you were ready to play Exactly. I had a clear strategy. I didn't have any much to lose because already I had a, a great run until then. And on the other hand, I know I can beat this kind of people. So, you know, I was confident. I played well and, and yeah, there we were. And then, um, you know, and then it all turned into this, uh, this, uh, yeah, scene with the, with the time violation and with the, my slowliness, or I don't know how you say in English that I'm slow, um, you know, which is, uh, I didn't want to uh, preempt the conversation. I was watching the match. You didn't look to me like you were doing anything egregiously out of bounds. And I was surprised at the reception you got. Did you feel like you were did were you purposely i know you were purposely trying to take your time to keep your energy you're twice her age generally speaking um but it didn't seem to me that you were out of bounds no i i felt exactly the same way you did and i didn't have a couple of pops <laughs> I, I, I was pretty sober out there and uh and uh yeah it was exactly like that i just played my game there is no secret that I'm really slow between the points and that I'm, you know, using and needing the 25 seconds also. I'm honest with that. Um, and um, I think it's legit. As you say, I'm 
not the youngest anymore. And uh, that's the rule. You have the 25 seconds and that's it. And if I'm over it, I absolutely accept. I got time violation. I didn't say anything. I, it happens to me all the time. So, um, but it just became a drama about nothing. And I honestly, I didn't care really much because I was just trying to focus on the match. Um, of course, it's not nice if the, if the audience uh, like turns a great tennis match completely around also fueled by her behavior i have to say her coach and her um or you know all of her team uh kind of really fueled that where in return i have to say i didn't do anything against the audience or to fuel the situation like i just played my pace and you'll see me in any match anywhere on any court uh, it's just usually caught uh, you know 37 in the corner so don't nobody cares but apparently on Arthur Ashe Arena, the, the, the um, public got offended with that and they really wanted the American girl to win. So, But it didn't really bother me in the sense, you know, I'm really focused out there. I, I'm really tough also. So I was just trying to, to focus on my game and the things that are important. And then, you know, once the match is over and obviously I was disappointed that I lost it because I, I, I felt like I had chances to win it. Um, then I, uh, then, you know, all the stress goes out and the adrenaline goes out and then you're kind of reflecting on, on the experience you had out there. And I have to say, you know, I play tennis, of course, for the success and, and, and for the game itself, but also for the experience of it. I don't know how long I have left to play. I don't know how the body reacts. Uh, uh it can change any minute. I've made that experience already before. So I'm just happy and trying to enjoy the matches and I'm trying to give the people a show and be a, a good, uh, you know, uh, play a good role. Also, I don't know if, if kids are watching or whatever. And I don't think that, you know, being slow and, and using the time you have by the rules is an, is an offense. Um, also comes into this discussion every time the same thing that, you know, big names are slow too, but they press the clock at different times. You know, some people bound, I don't know, bounce the ball like 28 times. Nobody says anything. You know, it's just, it's just a big subject about this time and, um, this, this short clock. And I, I felt I did my best. I, I, you know, did nothing offensive at any point against the audience. So I felt a bit disrespected for that and for the performance I put out there. That was completely overlooked. I played a great tennis match, period. And that was completely not respected. And that's why I was upset afterwards. It, but It seems to me that the we're seeing a prevalence of, I want to say, unsophisticated crowds that are don't know what they're looking at. I mean, it was clear to me that you had put the team and the player, you'd given them something to think about. You know, that's first. I, I have to say, I, I never made any bad experience like that other than in New York. So I, I, I can't really say that this is like a vibe going on or that is happened more often, happening more often. That's literally just on that court never happened to me before. Usually, you know, crowds are, are pretty respectful to the players. They, if you give them reason, they get upset. But if you don't give them reason, reason they treat you well. And, and that's even when you play, you know, someone they favor. Um, but, but that was, for me, that was just out of line. And, and, um, but, you know, it is what it is. This match for me is a long time ago. 
I don't really care anymore. It's lost. That's it. And, um, and, and I can't change what happened. And I'm really proud about how, how I, how I performed and how I dealt with the situation because I did nothing wrong. I just went with the pace that I always play with. And I do accept getting time violations for that. And that's it. The rest is for me, a drama that was unnecessary. How are you feeling about the health of the WTA? The organization? Yeah. Or How are you feeling or? about the yeah, the 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 health of the the health of the tour right now? Oh it's a difficult question. I think the WTA, by all respect, has to make improvements in a lot of areas. That's that's it. I mean I could get in many details. Uh the the finals in Cancun is just uh, the tip of a, the the cherry on a on a big cake, let's say, or not not like that. The tip of the iceberg, you want to say? No, I I think the WTA in many things they are they are not doing what what's good for the players. They are trying to sell it to us that they're trying to push the tour and you know want more media involved and want more jobs for us and all that. But but yeah, in some things I don't see it. So, yeah, it's not everything bad, of course. There are, you know, many good things. I think we can be really happy about how far women's tennis has come, but there is still also compared to the men, there's just like a really long way to go still. Yeah. Are you politically involved? Do you have your ear no, to No, I have the to street? say I've never been on the board or anything or like, you know, uh, in, involved. Not in, just as one of the many players that, that are making the tour, you know, and giving their opinion and trying to give pe- feedback all the time, but I haven't been on the board or anything. Do you um, have any strong opinions about the, the, the upcoming foray into Saudi, into Saudi Arabia? Um, I, I mean, is a, is a very interesting choice, let's say. And, um, yeah, I don't think is the best choice they can, they can make. I don't know how far that is through. Is that decided already or at this point? My understanding is, is the, they'll play the WTA finals there in 2025, but Mm -hmm. I've not completely vetted that. I just didn't know if you knew if that was. If no, that was I knew coming. it was in the in the you know talk. There were talks about it, and that it's likely I've heard, but I I haven't heard that there has been made a decision about it. Will you play? But I also feel that, for example, with that, I don't feel the players are involved in that decision making, and I think that's wrong. You know, it's the same with Cancun. I don't think anybody was involved of the players or of the. I don't know how they made it through, like through with that decision, but I think in these big decisions, in all the decisions, but particularly the really big ones, I think you have to talk to the players, and they do talk to the players, but then they do what they want anyways. That's what I don't like about it. Like often we're asked in meetings about our opinions or in in surveys and whatnot, and then you give your opinion and you talk to ten other players and they they think the same than you and and something else is being decided and then you don't know on which ground that stands and that's what I've experienced with the WTA the last years I have to say yeah the WTA finals in spite of everything you it seemed to me like you played you were the best player on the court for for a lot of that tournament can you explain uh what happened down there for yourself that you played so well? It seemed to me that when you played, uh, 
Coco and Jess, you really picked up the pace. I was watching that match closely and you seem to be the most confident player out there. You seem to be the best player out there. Were you like a little bit more hyper-focused because of what happened at the Open? Or am I just, uh, is my documentary film? (laughs) No, No, people keep talking about this year's Open match. And I've played so many matches this year. It was just one of them. One that made a big, like, you know, big headline in the news, but not necessarily one of the most important ones for me. Um, that had like that had nothing to do with like how I played in in Cancun. I, I I'm not sure if I was the best player on the court. I mean, we were all like struggling big time there. It was uh, from the beginning to the end a uh, uh, very tough tournament, uh, terrible conditions. Uh, you know, with the wind so strong that it is impossible to play good quality tennis. You just have to say that. Yeah. That was not apart from, you know, other organizational like disasters that were going on, uh, court not ready and, and whatnot. Just the, the, just the weather conditions were really, um, almost impossible to manage. And I think all the players and we're talking about the best singles and doubles players in the world of that season were at some point really like close to a mental breakdown because you just didn't know how to handle it, you know? And, uh, and, and you had completely the wrong expectations. You were, even me, I went there. I was super happy that we had qualified in the last really meters. It was just like the cherry on a big cake to, to even be there. And, um, and you just kind of, I mean, I just really looked forward to the end event. I thought it's just a great event, you know, and, and we're going to like be able to show our best side and play our best tennis. And that was just not possible. And, uh, and I was really disappointed. And at some point then the disappointment was gone and it turned into anger because you try to, of course, still, you know, get through it somehow. And, uh, maybe i don't know i don't know if it was luck or maybe we just hung in there that little bit better what i can say for sure is that it was not my performance you know we as a team uh vera she she really improved greatly in that event and i i always believe that that's what what brings you the the big win in the end is the improvement you do during the tournament until the end even sometimes you have matches where that are little setbacks, maybe you you almost lost or you, you know, you really struggled, but you went through somehow and you learned from it and the next round you made it better. That's usually what happens when you, you know, when you win a slam or when you go far in the big tournaments. But I can say 100% that it was not me. Maybe I did my job in my areas really well and that looked really good to the outside, but, you know, I always need the this solid backup from Vera and I need her to um to construct the points and and and, and be the the baseline of of our game basically um in in its real sense and um and 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 she did a great job with that so so it was the two of us that that I think also managed really well and then in the end played really well and I I I have to say we both had really really hard moments mentally because you know things were just it was just difficult to handle. I, I, I think I, I don't know if I was ever so um, upset with, you know, scheduling. I mean, there were moments where you were like laughing because it was not possible to play tennis. I mean, you would throw the ball up for a serve and it would land five meters over there 
almost on the other court. And you were like, are you kidding me that you want me to like play there in half an hour and, and expect me to play good tennis? Or what is this a joke? And and that's what we faced every day from morning till evening, basically. And um and and every one of us at some point got really demotivated. It was like almost like, you know, whatever. We'll just play and whatever happens. But that's not how you win big tournaments, you know. Big tournaments are one you're like, we we are doing this. We we can do this and we are doing this. So but that's what I think we picked up. We picked each other up really nicely in those down moments. I had them, she had them. And I think maybe maybe that's what got us, you know, through the week and what, what gave us the chance to win. I know it was challenging, but you both look very happy uh, in your sombreros yeah. at the end. <laughs> Whereas I, I can tell you, I mean, that's just a great feeling. And then, you know, it, it, it does make you forget. In the end, you're winning the match, you know. No, who cares if, if it was windy or not? In the end, it's <laughs> the result, as terrible as it sounds. And but also, you know, going through this whole struggle as a team was, was definitely as an, an experience. I mean, you can also, you can grow, grow closer together or fall further apart in these kind of tough times, you know. And, and we just definitely grew closer. And, and we, that was just a, a moment of pure joy and relief and all those crazy emotions that, that you get through, through professional sports, yeah. Let's move into the third set. This is the portion of our show where we talk about your career. So all I know is Filderstadt, you won the Orange Bowl when you were 12. But where does your tennis begin, Laura? My tennis begins uh, when I was like about three years old in my little street in Metzingen, where my parents still live today, where we put a... Like a thread or what do you call it a thread across from the our garden gate the little gate in front of our house across the street to the like gate like a rope like a rope like a rope yeah. the other side of the street which is like i don't know 5 meters or something and uh, fixed it there and we played with the softball over that line or over that rope and when a car came we had to go put the rope away let the car through and then put the rope back on. <laughs> that's how I started to play tennis with my dad in the street or with my older brother also uh, athletic family are you the only athlete yeah, no no definitely not nobody in professional sports like by far all all you know passionate hobby um, sport people but my dad did athletics in school and, and as a young man or as a young, you know, as a, as a um, young kid. And uh, my mom, she was super sporty. She, she secretly played soccer. She told her parents she plays table tennis, but she really went to soccer. But that was like a no-go back then in her family. So, you know, they, she snuck out to do what she wanted to do for real. And uh, my, I have a five-year-old brother, super sporty and, um, I have a half sister that is not so sporty. She's more like, you know, really uh, the creative brain, let's say, of the family. But um, yeah, my brother and my parents, we, we're all like super sporty. So how did you get very good? I think it's a very complex process. And I think when I speak about me, I can probably speak rather general for at least for many people. It's a very complex process and there is not one recipe for it. Um, I think 
it has to start rather early and um for sure you in in my case and i think that's that's just necessary um you have to have passionate parents you have to have parents that drive you that have the finances or organize the finances to pay for a rather expensive sport like tennis um and that just put a lot of time and effort in you training and then of course you need the training I had the talent. I was a really, a really good kid from the moment I, I picked up a racket. Um, and, and so the talent obviously has to be there. But then, uh, you know, I went through the different stages of, of uh, support through the Federation and all that. But then pretty early with around 12, when I, around when I won the Orange Bowl, we decided to, to not go with the Federation, but go our private way, let's say, which were in Germany back at the time kind of, the two choices you had either you went with federation you did you know in a group kind of what they planned for you and, and coaching and all that or you said okay i'm doing my own thing i'm paying for it by myself and i'm doing my own thing with a private coach and that's what i did and um yeah and then i read big- let me stop you for a second i read that you lived in saudi arabia is that true yeah, that's correct. My dad, he's an engineer and he worked in, in several um, development projects. Um, and they lived in, in Cairo, in Egypt for three years. That was before I was born, but they lived already abroad for, for several years. And then, um, and then when I was um, around four, we moved to Saudi Arabia. So before I went there, I would play in the street with my dad. And I would even have, I think, like a few tennis lessons already in Germany. And then we went to um, Saudi Arabia and lived there for three years until I was seven. And here comes the cool story that not a lot of people know. My tennis coach there in Saudi Arabia, we drove like a long time through the city to train with that one coach that my parents found. They always tried to find, you know, wherever we lived. Later on, we lived a year in Indonesia as well. And uh, they always tried to find the, the best possible coaches for us that, you know, were... Um, that we could somehow get to. And that was um, Tony Moe, the dad of Michael Moe, who is also now on the tour and, uh, and, wow. and playing really successful. So that he was in Saudi, my, my uh, first real coach, let's say, and I really learned to play tennis with him, all the technique and all that. I mean, he had a big part in that. That's unbelievable. And he, so- was, able to, <laughs> he was able to manage... I don't know how many kids we were. He has a couple of kids himself. My brother trained there. We were about, I don't know, I want to say 10, 15 kids of all age groups, like me, the four-year-old. Some were like, you know, 10, 12, like they were teenagers almost already. And uh, and he managed all these kids of different ages and different levels. And we were all sweating and he was like killing us. And he was like teaching us a really good tennis uh technique and, and understanding so that's something there are not a lot of coaches out there that can do that it sounds to me like when around 12 years old you started getting really no good. no i mean no. i was really like you know they they kind of do these scouting things and all that really early and i mean i was scouted with like seven eight with the federation to go in the earliest stages of their uh support system or i don't know how you call that um how do you call development, it in English? Development system. Development system, exactly. So that was really early. And uh, 
by the time I won the orange ball, I was, I had a coach in Germany that um, after we came back from Saudi, I, I had a, a coach there, like my club coach or home coach. And I always had him additionally to the, the coaching they offered me from the Federation, but I never wanted to give him up. He was a really, after Tony Moe, he was a crucial, um, you know, coach in the development of my tennis as a, as a young girl. And um, so I really stuck to him for a long time. And then at the age of 12, when I won the Orange Bowl, when it kind of, you know, became all a, a bigger deal, let's say, on the world stage for a junior, that's kind of when I had to take a decision. And the club coach couldn't really provide what we needed in, in the hours and in the in the coaching. And um, yeah, and then from then on, I changed the school. I, it was always really important for me to have a good education also. And um, but I wanted to train more and like twice a day. So, you know, I, 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 cha I did kind of a homeschooling kind of thing um, to have more time for tennis and, and become professional. Yeah. Was there a match or a week or a tournament that it was the moment where you say, OK, well, I think I could be a pro player. Did you practice? No. Did you practice without no, going? No, there was never like a moment. I just like kind of developed that, you know, hunger. I was always really good and I was always very ambitious, even as a small kid. And um, I just knew I, I did many other sports. I, for example, I did gymnastics for a long time and pretty intense. Also, like, you know, training four times a week for like two, three hours and competitions and all that. So I did other sports always on the side of tennis. But for me, it was always clear that, you know, tennis was my number one sport. And at some point I'm going to like, you know, when it gets more and more professional, I'm going to drop the other sports. And that's what happened. Um, and um, but then I, I didn't have a really smooth career as a teenager. Like, you know, they, they thought I'd be, you know, the next Steffi Graf and whatnot, which pretty much any girl in, in Germany that could hit a tennis ball decently was called the next Steffi Graf. No, so, but it was a bit annoying. Um, but I didn't fulfill any of those hopes at all when I was a teenager. Um, Why? Why? Good question. I would say wrong coaching, uh, too, too many, like, too little development and too much focus on, you know, the wrong things, I would say, also in, in the in the daily practice. I practiced a lot, but I didn't get matches. Um, the coach that I had thought it's not necessarily necessary to play junior events, um, but important to play pro events and learn how the girls, you know, the women on the big tour play. So basically I didn't win a match for like two, three years because I got beat bad all the time where I think it is much smarter to make a smooth transition from junior. Also today there are much more opportunities, but even back at the time you could mix, you know, ITF events, which you, where you probably, you know, would get beat bad as a 13 year old, but that's okay. But you learn where you still have to go, but then also, play some junior events where you feel like, Hey, you're really good. You're, you're the, maybe the best, you know, and, and pumps your self-confidence a little bit. So 16 to 19, you were playing pro events. You turned pro and you didn't win a match for three years. No, that was earlier. That was like earlier. between say 13 to 15, 16. In that phase, the coach that I had really emphasized 
practice. I was practicing a lot, lot more than I ever played later on or fitness and all kinds of things. So I got, you know, I got a lot of injuries through that. I think it was just too much. Um, and, and, um, and Look, the, looking the, back, looking back, it was too much. It was too much and wrong. Like, you know, you gotta, you gotta be smart. You gotta work smart, not hard. I mean, you gotta work hard also, but you gotta work smart and, uh, and, you know, confidence and, and trusting yourself and, and having the feeling that you're, you know, on a good way is a very important thing and much more important than, you know, I don't know, running the 28th stairs up and down that week. You know what I mean? I think fitness is extremely important and I'm the last person who's not, you know, training really hard. Everybody who knows me know, you know, I think would say that also. Um, but, you know, with 13, I think I, I personally think it's important to have a life also to see friends and, and to play some events where you can, this is probably the the, mo- the biggest thing, to play some events where you gain confidence and not every time where you get like shown that you're nobody, you know? Because at the end of the day, then when I was 15, 16, I thought I'm nobody and I was nobody because I had learned it for three years. <laughs> so that wasn't really working out. Anyway, you know, it's just those things you go through. And I think I was... Um, uh, not maybe not lucky to 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 get into that kind of um training but choices made and uh and then uh that that made it really difficult for me to connect into the pro tennis i just had lost a few years where the development wasn't what it needed to be to become a pro i didn't learn the things i i i learned to be frustrated and um and then i um when i started you know on the itf tour after finishing my school kind of you know restarted there and um and uh it was Hang on know, a it second. was okay uh, yeah so so i so i read that right you 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 went to college you're a college graduate yeah that's it's a long story <laughs> so trying to make it a bit short yeah no i understand so, look know, do your best to condense it but it sounds like you had a lot of scar tissue from working the way you were working. You went to college and then you turned then you went on the pro tour? Not exactly. Okay. So, you know, it's not exactly like in 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 America with the um with the high school and the college. The school in Germany is 13 years, so it's definitely much longer and more intense than the high school. So, I finished my high school what you'd call it. Um, um, with the, you know, getting the highest degree so I could go to university and I finished it with 19. So that's, that was normal at the time. And, um, and in that phase, I was just not having great results. I don't even know where I was ranked, like somewhere between three and 400 probably. Then in that year, you know, I did kind of a homeschooling system, not exactly homeschooling, but too complicated to, to explain here, but I didn't go to school every day until the last year of, of, of that, um, high school. And, um, and I had to be there every day. So tennis was really a, a secondary priority in that year. And once I finished my school, it was really important for me to do that. Um, then I, I traveled and I, I wanted to become pro and I played these ITF tournaments and that was from 19 to 24. You know, when I was ranging somewhere between two and 300 most of the time and I was, you know, I had 
some some better years but overall i i always felt like i'm not like really fulfilling my potential like i was thought i can be better and i i couldn't i i didn't play i just when i had ch the chances in matches or, or when i you know made it to a semi final or something i just never performed the way i thought i could and you know i had no money so i was traveling alone couldn't afford a coach um played a lot in the us because they offered housing usually so you know i didn't have the hotel cost which was a, a huge mm amount to carry so I stayed with families always kind of gave me also the feeling that I'm a little bit more at home somehow somewhere um but I was I was rather miserable because you know I was just by myself so much and I'm not good by myself the, the families I I still I'm in touch with many many of them um in the states and and they really kind of made it made it nicer for me and uh, without that I would have not survived I think Tennis is so yeah. hard. T sorry, What's tennis that? is tennis is so hard. Yeah, nobody talks about that. This story know. is unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, I was like, you know, how it is. I was like, so you were you were between three and four hundred in the world up until twenty four years old. A little bit better than that. My best ranking was between in that that time was I think one eighty was my best sorry, rank. Sorry, so and, you were between. Like two between and two and three hundred at that time, and um, and then one eighty, it peaked. But emotionally, that was really the lowest point I had ever been. So that opened my eyes, and I, I suddenly realized because I always thought I'm on the way to somewhere, and I always thought my credo was hard work pays off. It doesn't matter what if you work hard and you put the work in every single day. You will get your reward. I believed in that deeply. And that never happened for me. That is just, I don't want to say it's bullshit. That's what I've learned. It's not bullshit, but it's just not true like that. It's not simple like that. It's not one and one is two. Did you ever consider quitting? Did you ever quit? And that's what I'm coming to, yeah. I considered quitting many times basically in those years when you know between 19 and 24 I you know I I I thought I'm on the way to somewhere and I thought once you know I get out of this slum somehow you know of playing 10ks and 25ks and like being happy for every hundred bucks I'm making and that I can like afford my next you know trip um, that I'd get out of there somehow and, and elevate myself out of that. And then something would start rolling and I would, you know, find how I can fulfill what's inside of me and, and like really play that. And I realized the better I get in the ranking, the worse I feel. Like the more pressure I put on myself financially is not getting much better. If you're now 150 or, you know, 200, that's not a big difference. Um, there were also... I mean, there was less money in that. That's like, what's that, 20, yeah, no, 15 years ago or something. You know, that was a bit different, the tour. Um, but I was always someone that needed a lot of physical, like, help, like physiotherapy and this kind of thing. And I'd literally be thinking, ah, can I afford this massage today? You know, it's 30 bucks. And I think I would play much better tomorrow if I would have, you know, someone work on my legs a little bit. But then it was really expensive and I always had to weigh this off. And that was, you know, terrible for me because I felt like I could perform so much better if I, you know, had more money and had better circumstances. And that kind of killed me. 
And um, and then at 24, I really I really decided to stop because it was kind of around that time when I had that best ranking. And I I, I remember the last practice with my coach back then, um, and I was like throwing rackets in the practice and behaving really badly, and. And he took me to the bench and he said, wait a minute, like, what's going on? And I said to him, I said, Marcus, I am so angry. I'm so disappointed with everything that I produce. I don't even know what I want to see myself playing that I feel happy, that I feel joyful and excited and motivated. The only motivation that I had was to to move forward to some better place that I didn't even know what that's supposed to be. Is that ranking? Is that financial? I didn't even know. And so I realized I don't even know what I have to do anymore to feel better and to feel proud about myself, to enjoy the game, you know, and to just not be disappointed and angry with everything that I, you know, do basically on the court. And that's the point when I decided to stop because I, I didn't see the sense anymore putting in energy in something where, you know, I don't even, usually, you know what you need to do. You know, I know what I need to do to be top 10 in the world in doubles. And I go out to train because I know what I need to be able to do. And in singles, the same, you know, what, where your mistakes are, you know, what you're really good at. And it's a balance and you get angry sometimes if you're not, if you're a perfectionist. And I think we all are, um, you know, us, you know, top performers, let's say, but there has to be a balance. Sometimes you also have to sit back and say, hey, that was amazing what I did. And you're proud of yourself and you feel like, honestly and deeply proud about what, what you did. And I was always really hard with myself. But in that time, during that time, I was like killing myself about, you know, what I should be doing better, what's not good enough, ranking not good. You know, you should have, you could have all these things. And I just couldn't find joy anymore. And I decided to continue with my coach just because I, I wanted to enjoy the game. I love to make sports. I love to stay fit. So I, you know, I start, I, I still took lessons with him, um, but much less. I played just a couple of times a week and, um, and I decided to, to study. I studied psychology, made my bachelor, finished it in 2015. Um, and, um, and, and I started coaching also in a really small club, like in the woods near where I'm from, uh, just kind of to get, I, I did the coaching license, the highest coaching license in Germany, which taught me a lot. And, uh, and, and I just wanted to, you know, see what, how I feel about coaching and what that gives me. And, um, and, uh, I did still play ITF. So on the paper, I never really stopped. Um, because, uh, because, you know, for the, to play the league matches, which was at that time, the main money I was making was in league matches. Um, you know, you have to have a ranking and they pay you by ranking. So it was kind of important for me to not lose my ranking completely. Yeah. Let me stop you for one second. Uh, Laura's referring to the Bundesliga, the German yeah, Bundesliga, yeah. which is big money. That's big money tennis. It's a, it's a season. It is a very, um, well, I mean, big money is relative, you know, but it's, well, but it's real money. It's a real, it's, it's real a real money and you know, you're getting it. That's the point. Like, you know, you get like, I don't know, you get 
5,000 euro for playing five matches, let's say back then. But, uh, but that was 5,000 euro that you could count on. And you knew I was playing five matches and I would get the money. Whereas, and you had no costs, you know, you're driving with the car within Germany. So it's, or it's paid by the club if you have a travel. So it was just safe money where any ITF could be also a big minus, you know. The Bundesliga for our listeners is a long time. It's been around for as long as I've been alive. The, The clubs of Germany they attach sponsors. It's a, it's, it's a real thing. And quite often players find their way to the Bundesliga and it is a, it's sort of an honest paycheck. They get taken care of. They're sort of, it's, it's a, it's a real thing. So you were, you were getting your money from Bundesliga. You were playing a little ITS. You were working your yeah, way back in. ITS not for the money, but to keep my ranking and maybe make a couple points. And um and then you know be more interesting in the Bundesliga and um and being able to play that and I played not only in Germany I played in Austria in Switzerland so I played the the Bundesliga in, in in several countries to make a living from that or to make you know extra bucks from that. What and, a story uh, this is! This is an unbelievable story. Yeah, you just won yeah, the WTA many... finals of the doubles two yeah. weeks ago. You were now all the way. The, you that were was all the bad the part. Out. Now comes the good part. You were all the way out. <laughs> yeah. You were all the way out. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah, yeah, and then um, and then I, I kind of found the the joy of life a little bit at, in that phase. I I realized I pulled the plug at the right time. Um, tennis was not healthy anymore for me mentally at that you know or I had become not healthy anymore. So. Uh, I play those tournaments, but I, I kind of try to do only what I really enjoyed on the court. So I did only the practice sessions with my coach that I really enjoyed. Suddenly, I, I didn't care anymore. I just played for the honest improvement I, I saw in myself and I wanted to do. But the goal to make something out of it, you know, it was like I was going nowhere anymore with it. It didn't matter. It was just for the improvement itself. It was not for it to be a tool to carry me somewhere. And uh, that's how I played. And I played tournaments. Although I have to say, I wanted to enjoy them more, but I didn't really. But I tried my best to just enjoy myself on the court. And the, um, how do you say, like the, the ironic thing was that I started to play really well and I started to win. I saw it's this as simple as that. I don't know why. I, it wasn't that I played unbelievable or anything, but it was just that suddenly the end result would always kind of fall my way. And um, at the beginning, I kind of, you know, watched it carelessly, let's say. It didn't really matter. But then I won like my first 10K and I was like, yeah, that's, you know, that's great. And then I won, I will never forget I won a 25k out of the qualifying, which is, you know, seven matches in a row in pretty much like nine days or something. And I, I went there, my friend, I was with my friend and she, she said, yeah, we're going to the lake now. It was like a Saturday morning. And she's like, yeah, we're going to the lake now. Hang out. And I was like, oh, I would love to go to the lake, but I, ha- I have to do this sign in like at the, in Darmstadt, the 25k. And I really didn't want to go. And I was that close to like not going and just like saying screw this I I don't want to go 
And then I ended up signing in because I felt obligated and I won the tournament out of the qualies, which was a huge win for me to win a 25K. Like, you know, elevated my ranking and all that. And like that, it went during that time. And it really didn't matter so much to me, but I was just, I was almost angry at that. I had worked so hard all my life, like all my, as a teenager already to, to win a 10K or to win a 25K. That was always my, my goal to do that. And then, you know, get into the top 200 and then in the top 150 and in the end, for sure in the top 100. And I was always so far away from that. And then suddenly it was kind of like coming to me. It was almost like I was, I'd always say I was passive. I mean, I was playing, I was fighting and grinding out there. But I didn't care in the last percent to win the match. You know what I mean? And it just fell my way. And that was so ironic. And I was, I didn't, it was not that I was happy about that particularly. It was like, I, I kind of stared at the situation thinking like, what is happening? And I, I should have, I like, I deserved that much earlier. Now I don't care about it anymore. Now I'm getting it. It was really grotesque in a way. And um and my boyfriend at that time that I had met, he was a physiotherapist, so he helped me on the physical level. I, I suddenly had access to treatment that made me, you know, put me in a state that I was healthy to play all the time, where before I always had physical problems. Suddenly I was more healthy and he was also mentally kind of um, you know, helping me just to kind of enjoy the matches and don't put a lot of pressure on myself and um and like that, slowly, I kind of fell back into it. And I had like sworn to myself that I would never, never, never go back pro because it just had hurt me so much that I I just told myself, whatever happens, like just never pro again. You can play, you know, Bundesliga, whatever tennis you want to play, but not like touring 40 weeks in the year alone and, you know, being 200. Like I just didn't want to be on the tour anymore. And um Yeah then things changed. Then I qualified first time for Wimbledon again in, in 2015. And that was the same time as my bachelor finished. So that was kind of, you know, it fell together. I was done with university. That coaching was super flexible. Like I could just like, you know, was able to leave that anytime I wanted. And then I, I, I qualified on grass in Wimbledon in 15 on grass. Like I never won a freaking match on grass before. <laughs> And I was like, this is weird. Like, and then I was there in a, in a Grand Slam main draw. And I was like, wow, this is where I always wanted to be. This is what I worked all my life for since I'm like freaking five. And uh, the university was done. And then at the end of 2015, I won my, I broke the top 100. I won a 100K that kind of put me, pushed me in the top 100. So I was, you know, main draw Australian Open the first time in 2016 and that's when I had to take this decision in that time do I want to because I wanted to do the masters in psychology but it was kind of like okay do I want to give tennis another shot and I and 2016 was like that I said okay I'm giving it one freaking more shot a really really small shot if I feel anything like I've felt before just a hint of that I'm going to stop right away like and never look back. <laughs> and wow. uh, yeah. And I did something good out of it. <laughs> How do you get to 27 in the world? Like who were you at when you got to 27? 
it's a it's a process you work for that not for a year or so i think everything that i've went through was important to to you know to get to that level but i do think that that different mindset um you know I was always someone who never struggled to be motivated. You never had to like kick me in the butt to go train. You always had to kind of break me a little bit. I was the one to come an hour early and leave an hour late. And sometimes that was not good for me too much. I needed always someone who said, hey, it's enough for today. Take it easy and rest a little bit because that's more important for you than training another hour. And that's what I found in that period. I found people around me that you know, help me when it was better to step on the brake a little bit and, and kind of realize that also. Um, and, um, and the training, I mean, the coach I had was the same. So, but, but I think, yeah, at that time we really, because I was mentally in a better state, I was practicing with better people because I had a better ranking, you know, people I could play with people that are in the top hundred, because if you're 300, nobody out of the top hundred wants to play with you. It's the same now It's terrible. But when I'm on, on the tour and I have a girl that's like 350 asking me to practice, I say, depending on where I am, if I just need to hit some balls, I'm cool with that. But if I want to play points, I'm not playing with her because she's just not, not elevating me. I'm elevating her. And maybe that's not what I need in that moment. And that's exactly what happened to me at that time. You know, you play always with the people that are around your ranking. So you never get out of there. And suddenly I was in the top 100. I played with, you know, people that are 40, 50, 60. And I got to play like them. And then, you know, you climb higher and higher. And that's just a kind of a spiral that goes up. That really helped me, the, the environment. Yeah. The success puts you into a different group. And once you're exactly. in that group, yeah. You start to improve. Well, and then you got to take the chance. You know, you got to show huge effort. You you work really hard, but not that you didn't work hard before, you know, but you're working hard with better people and you see how they work, maybe even harder than you, motivates you. And then you go that extra step that you thought you're going already an extra step, but you go an extra, extra step. And that just kind of keeps rolling. And I think I've always put in good work and, you know, showed great discipline and great professionalism even when I was a young kid, more than many, many of the people around me. Um, but then it just, all that potential got a chance to kind of flourish, yeah. And um, and then, you know, once you're like in the range, I don't know, 70, 60, 50, then you're, I'm someone I keep learning, I keep looking, what are the others doing? What do I need? You play those matches where you realize, I still need to like, deeply work on this and that some other things are good already and then you're just and then I just kept climbing because because I, I was not satisfied being there in the 60s or something I wanted more and that's and then the, the success to you know coming into the top 30 or so that built and I would say over yeah over a year or something or more than a year that just like build up good results giving you confidence and then you have another good match and then and then I had yeah just I was just rolling my question to you is is this could you have done better when you look back do you look back like oh i could have done better or what do you mean better? <laughs> could you have important? been could you have been could you have gotten into the top 20 could you have contested second week of majors if things had been different did you leave it all out there yeah i think i uh 
probably like overall my career better choices could have been made but at that time I can't uh, I have to say at that time with the information we had my parents had they're not coming out of professional sports they had to trust the experts in the choices they made for coaches or for you know for all the people that worked with me so I can't really say with the information everyone had at that time the, the the choices weren't bad, but they turned out to be the wrong ones. And um, and me myself, I cannot say that I could have done anything better. I could have been set maybe on a better street with the right advice or with you know someone who maybe understood me better. But I can deeply from the heart say that I have every day of my life given everything for tennis and to become the player that I am today. I just uh, had to go through many holes or many like dark, you know, alleys. Um, but it was never because I I could have done better or more. Huh? It's probably more that I've done too much at times and I should have realized that the moment I stepped back a little bit and I, I gave myself... The, ch the chance to see it a little bit more relaxed. And that doesn't mean that I, you know, you you can have a lot of discipline and a lot of motivation and a lot of um, professionalism and still be relaxed. And that's what, what I was lacking more. I always kind of wanted, I like tried to grab the success and it, it needs to come to you. You need to prepare the way for it you need to make everything like, you know, perfect. But then in the end, it's a little bit of luck. It's a little bit of chances that, you know, they come your way or not. And you need to be able to to let it come to you or let it go also. I, that, it sounds a bit crazy because it's on a high level of effort. You know, it's not like, yeah, see, I wake up tomorrow and I see how I'll do. And maybe the success comes to me. It's not that. It's you're giving a freaking thousand percent for a long time and everybody that works with you is doing that too and then you're still able in the you know final match the important moment to say okay i did everything i could i do it now i play my best and then ha whatever happens it happens you know the ball is one millimeter out i lose if it's one millimeter in i'm the greatest you know you can some things they just you just need to be relaxed about them mentally relaxed let's move into the fourth set this is the 10 ball scramble. I just say it and you say what comes in your mind. Are you okay. ready? Yeah. Noma Akugwe. Um, Hold on. Did I pronounce her name right? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> it's so difficult. That's your night. teammate, Noma. But that's your I teammate. Haven't, I haven't heard her say it. That's my problem. So I know a lot of pronunciations, but I haven't really heard her say it. For our it. listeners, German, German girl, Nigerian descent, uh, hot shot. Blue chipper, everyone's talking about. What can you tell me about her? Interesting newcomer. Yeah, I say it really short and brief. No, the yeah, yeah. Just it's, it's we go quick. Interesting newcomer. Do you have you practiced with her? Yeah, I've, I've practiced with her. I've uh, played a match. Also, I lost to her one time. Um, and uh, yeah, she's a really she she is a great player. Um, she has great physics. She has, uh, you know, a great setup, let's say. And um, and then, you know, she need to 
She needs to file and work on the details, but she can be a great player. How are you feeling about German tennis? Yeah, it's a really difficult phase we're like starting to get into because there is a big gap. There is a, you know, a couple of like, there is almost a whole generation, a couple of players that had stopped that were supposed to be the ones now and they're not. So really us old ones, um, like, you know, Tatiana Maria, uh me myself angie is now coming back um but like this generation is still kind of like swinging the flag for the german tennis and but we need the you know new ones to take over and fortunately we have you know if ali is coming now and and yule niemeyer and um also anna fritzam who had a lot of physical problems also in the last years but she made her comeback and and you know is is back um you know around the hundred so we have a few girls but of course um it's yeah it's a bit difficult for the young ones the return of naomi osaka oh gonna be really interesting that is for me something um that i'm yeah i'm gonna watch with a lot of interest particularly you know because i have also um uh in my career faced as I said before, you know, some mental struggles and some really tough phases, um, not only in the, in the, you know, how the sport of tennis works and with all the travel and everything and expenses and all that, but also just on the, the, the mental strain that takes on you. Um, and, and so that's, that's really interesting for me to watch how she's coming back in a completely different situation now being mom. Your favorite tournament. Australian Open is my really favorite one, but I really like Indian Wells and I really like Rome as well. And of course, I have to say Stuttgart, the event, they are making a great job. I like outdoor tournaments. I'm usually not a fan of indoor ones, but I mean, that's an event. They just make a great show around it and they make they make something really cool about it. Your favorite racket. I've been told you're a tinkerer. I heard that you've changed rackets many times. Do you have a favorite racket? I wouldn't say I changed rackets many times. I mean, I've played with different rackets with I was younger, but I was with Vogel for like 10 years or over 10 years. So I played Vogel it a player. long time. Yeah. And then 2019, I believe I made the switch and I, I changed to Yonex, which I'm playing since. So I don't feel like I'm changing much. But but in, in my younger years, I've played Wilson. I've played Dunlop. I've played, um, what else have I played? I played Yonex before and Vogel before. So yeah. But you're a Yonex player. Now, yes. Which racket do you play with? I play the E-Zone 100. E-Zone 100? What, how do you string your racket? Tension? String, tension. Are you taking notes? No, I'm just doing my thing. I mean, I'm always taking notes, but that's the part <laughs> of the show. <laughs> Are you sitting? Do you, can you grab something? Like, hold yourself that you don't fall off your chair. Who, me? Yeah. Am I sitting? The last record that I strung was 11.10 kilos. <laughs> you play that loose? Usually not that loose. I played always pretty loose. Uh, usually under- 11.10? <laughs> yeah, you can pull that with your hand. You don't need a machine for that. 
But usually I, I string around between 16 and 18 kilos, which is already really loose. But I had, I had wrist problems now. And so I had to change something on the weight of my racket and I keep going further down. So I played like way under 15 kilo lately in the wow. Asian swing, which wasn't so unsuccessful. I played like four tournaments with the same racket almost. Really? And hang on a second. Yeah. So you string super loose. What do you, what, what kind of string do you play with? The Yonex, uh, Polytour. Polytour Strike. Wow. And, and what size is your grip? One. Small grip. And I'm playing it without a, a grip, like only two over grips. Two so over, two Yonex super grips. The white Yonex super grip you play Yeah, with. exactly. Wow, very cool. Now, big entourage or lean and mean? Lean and what mean? Big entourage or lean and mean? It's just an expression. You lean know, you and like, mean for sure. Lean and mean for sure. Yeah. How many do you travel with? I usually just travel with Anto, with my boyfriend and coach. So I have two in one. Um, sometimes if I feel I need it with the physio. And sometimes not usually not additional. I didn't travel with a physio now in a while, but um, sometimes I have my doubles coach, Paul Davis, also in the boat, like now in Cancun, they both came. So for important doubles events, Paul comes in the picture as well. But now that you're rich and famous, you don't take 15 people to the Italian Open with you? No, you don't take, I like no. it really, <laughs> really lean and high quality and just a few good people. Player box etiquette. How should people behave in the player's box? They should like be really like into the match. They should not be on the phone. They should be really like focused and into the match and pumping the fist in good points and like just living every point with the player. They should be. They can't look at their phone. That box, if you see them, if you see people in your box looking at the phone, that's that's uh, irksome to you. Why are you? Yeah, I mean, at least don't show it to the player. (laughs) Like, you can check your phone sometimes, but don't be like, you know, typing and the camera catches you. The most cavalier thing you've ever done with prize money right out of the office? (laughs) I don't think I've done anything. I mean, I've done shopping right after, like, I want something. So I'd have this thing, but it's small things. Like, I'm not a luxury shopper, um, (laughs) and that will never change. So, like, I'd see that handbag for, like, 200 euro uh, or whatnot, you know, not, like, 2,000. So, like, just uh, could be 20 euro or so. And I'd see it at the beginning of the week. And I, like, then after the fine, I'd be like, and now I go and buy it, you know. These things I've done many times as a, like, you know, also with small bucks when I was, like, winning an ITF or something. But um, But not that I've, like, gone straight from there. <laughs> really straight from the court. Not not really. I always little, try to save my money and invest. A little retail therapy after you win after you've played well, after you've gotten paid from time to time. Yeah, like that that's that's it. But the also the retail therapy works when you you played bad also. That like when you when you re, when it really sucked and you had a terrible day and you just go shopping for an hour, you feel much better after that, that's for sure. Wild card. You're a published author. Tell us about that. 
yeah, I always felt like I have a lot to say and I have probably a lot of things to say that I learned in professional sports that can help other athletes, but also just other people in whatever, you know, whatever moment they are in their life. I think the lessons you learn in professional sports, they go far beyond sport. The lessons you learn about yourself, about, you know, difficult circumstances, about challenges you face personally, uh, those are lessons learned for your life, basically. And and I just felt like I want to write them down. I want to give it, gave it also a little bit of structure for me with all the knowledge that I have, but kind of to structure it a little bit. And um, and I think I, yeah, I, I, it can be interesting for other people, especially those who are ambitious and who want to, you know, learn about themselves and want to improve themselves um, in their daily life, but in their work also, and also in their sport, but, but, you know, whatever they are ambitious at um, to, to kind of, um, yeah, bring them forward. And that was my mission. And I think we've achieved that. I'm really happy with the, with the product. There is always things you, you feel like you would like to add and, or, or, um, you know, kind of go into that part a little bit deeper but uh, overall I think it's a great book I it's the way I wanted it to be and um, it's nice to have put all that in, on paper it's coming in English actually next next year in 24 Wildcard by Laura Sigamund coming next year in English in I, I believe in uh, spring let's move into the fifth and final set this is the queen of the court if you could be the queen of tennis and make a change in the sport with just you know a swing of the racket with no aggravation what might it be i have to say i've never thought about it it's not an easy question i think the first thing that i see is i would like to which is happening already but i would like to see that even more is to give all the kids that want to the opportunity to play and swing a tennis racket because tennis is a great sport and it shouldn't be elite and, and, and just for, you know, certain people. And I think, I don't know, this sport can bring the people together and it can just, it just can help you so much for yourself and for your self confidence. I think any kid should have access to that. That's one thing that comes to my mind. Um, that's a great thing. We can leave that right there. That's a we can that, leave we that. Ha- <laughs> we haven't heard that before. You but just want everyone it. to oh, all sorts of stuff. We've had the uh, some people are want to change tennis to just one serve. Some of the shorter guys on tour want to change tennis to just you just get one serve. Many people want to change the calendar. You know, all different things. But we hadn't heard that. That you know, the, every child. Gets the opportunity to play tennis in the history of the world. <laughs> that sounds dramatic. No, but what I wanted to say was that, you know, they're they're doing that already at the tournaments. You know, they're doing kids' days and all that. But I just would like to see um, that, that tennis is brought out in the world. And, and, you know, faces like us, like professionals, they can really, you know, make that change. Um, to just bring tennis in all the corners of the world and uh, 
also where you know where kids might not even have thought about that but just like I mean sport it can be any sport but now that we're coming from tennis you know it could be tennis it's just a great sport to bring people together and I think this should be done much more but then you know you're in your own world and you're like doing your own thing and sometimes you forget about that to give other people also an opportunity when you communicate with your boyfriend, your coach, do you speak Italian? What what language do you speak? What what language do you we speak? English. With? We speak English. English because my Italian is not good enough uh, yet, um, and it's just easier for both of us. But my end goal is that we can speak Italian with each other. I think that's a great goal. Listen, you know, I have to say, I was looking forward to this, um, particularly. We were introduced in Charleston and, you know, between what happened at the open and then to see you win the WTA finals doubles was, was where you, where you had a few drinks already, but it was exhilarating. No, no, but it was exhilarating to see you finish the year so strong and know that we were going to talk. I did not know you'd been through the fire like this. And, um, I think this was fascinating, uh, Thank you for being so um, forthcoming with your story. Uh, we see you next in, do you do you go to Brisbane? Where, where do we see you next? Uh, I actually started the United Cup again, okay. which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, it's really nice to have this different format and guys and girls mixed. I really enjoyed it this year. I played it this year already. And uh, and then I don't know um, one preparation tournament and uh, or one more preparation tournament and then Australian Open. I don't. I really haven't thought about it yet. If it's uh, what's the second week? Uh, Sydney, right? We are in Sydney for the for the United Cup, but isn't it the second week is either Sydney or Hobart? I believe. No, is it? You'll play one tournament before the before the Australian Open after United Cup. But listen, exactly. Uh, enjoy the time off. Enjoy the holidays. And uh, Laura Sigamund, you are released. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. It was fun and um, really find it a cool format. So I'm looking forward to hear the, the whole thing. Uh, and, and yeah, I had a great time. So thanks for that. Huge thank you to Laura Sigamund and thank you to Deodora. Use my code APPROVED in all caps at hollabirdsports.com for 15% off of all Deodora performance tennis shoes. Huge thank you to our sponsor again, Vacation. Once again, the perfect holiday gift for any tennis lover with Vacation's ball boy scented candle. Available now at vacation.inc. Use my code SHAPIRO in all caps for 15% off of the vacation ball boy scented candle man we know we love candles max Loeb edited the show our music is by brian senti we'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport until then i'm craig shapiro and you are released